Hello. Well, after 32 years, we got new microphones, so it's hard to tolerate change, <laughs> figure out what one is doing, actually. So my name is Sharon Salzberg, and I'd like to welcome you here. Um, as you've heard, this is sort of our anniversary season, and so it's always very exciting for me uh, to be here in this time and uh, just to feel my way back to all those years ago, 1976, when we moved in and everything that's happened here uh, in all these years and back to the present moment. Um, to feel this uh, tremendous gratitude to all of you for uh, being here, which really is what keeps the place alive and vital. And um, for this opportunity for all of us to be together I want to first just briefly introduce uh, two of my colleagues who are here with me, Mark Coleman, who just came in from California. So I said we expect him to be three hours late to everything, uh, and Gina Sharp. Um, and we have uh, one more friend, colleague, coming. She's taking an overnight flight from California. She'll really be late everywhere, named uh, Kate Leela Wheeler. So she'll be here by tomorrow sometime. And it is, it's a, a tremendous thing to come together with all of you and uh, to really immerse oneself in a, a topic and exploration like loving kindness, um, which is uh, such an amazing quality and I think also kind of a mysterious quality in this world. For many years I said that the thing I wanted most was uh, for... Uh, the discourse to be happening, you know, for the, the matter of love and compassion and loving kindness to be brought forth in our consideration of our own lives as, as we look at the world around us and uh, every bit of effort and intention we each put toward that, I think, makes that a reality, which is a, a wonderful thing. In many ways, I go back to two very early things I heard when I first went to India to learn meditation. One was my very first teacher um, who said, I believe on the very first night of my retreat, which was how I began meditation, was on an intensive 10-day retreat, when he said, the Buddha did not teach Buddhism, the Buddha taught a way of life. And so we come together here not uh, as a kind of philosophical inquiry or uh, doing a comparative religion survey. Um, coming here or being here is not about Buddhism, it's really about ourselves. And you know, for me, since my own practice has been since 1971 when I began, has been within the context of this tradition um, this is the language that I use, the metaphors, the imagery, the stories. But I really do believe these are universal truths. And so uh, any one person might have to do a kind of translation process. Um, but I think the most important thing is one's own experience. It's, it's not the words and it's not the expression. So we come here not about any dogma or set of beliefs, but really because it's such an enormous opportunity to use certain tools and to discover for ourselves some greater truth about our own lives. And the other statement I heard was from another teacher of mine in India when he said, 
the Buddha's enlightenment solved the Buddha's problem, now you solve yours, which was also a, a wonderful statement. I know I, I find it a little hard to convey sometimes quite the kindness in his tone of voice, but um, it was actually a very kind statement because it felt like maybe for the first time in my life, somebody was looking at me as though to say, you can solve your problem. You can solve the problem of the confusion and the unhappiness that brought you here to India to begin with. You can do this, and here are some tools. And that, I think, very much captures the nature of our coming here together, that there are some tools that we, in any day of our lives, may feel, you know, we don't have the time, we're, we're too... Uh, beset with responsibility, we're too confused, whatever it might be. Um, and this is an opportunity just to do it as fully as possible, to utilize these tools, to experiment, to explore, to see for ourselves what might be the result of a certain deepening or, or a certain uh, sense of getting more confident and and skillful with these tools. So usually we talk about three aspects of the practice that we really develop in being here together. The first is concentration. Most of us would probably describe ourselves as fairly scattered or distracted. And you don't need to have experience in meditation to have discovered this. You know, maybe you sit down to think something through, and it's not long before we're just gone. You know, our minds jump to the past, they jump to the future, to judgment, to speculation. And that's an awful lot of energy that could be available to us, but it's not because we're throwing it all over the place. So the first process that we really engage in, the first uh, tool that we use, is being able to gather all of that energy and to bring it together, to experience a greater sense of, of wholeness, of presence, of collectedness, of centeredness. And this, this really is, it's almost like the engine that drives the rest of our practice. It's not a, a punitive process. Um, it's not one laced with great self-judgment, like, I'm an idiot, my mind wandered again. Um, there's tremendous skill that is learned in being able to let go to start over um, and again and again and again. But over time, as we do that, we find that there is more a kind of centeredness and integration of our being. So within the Buddhist teaching, the deepening of concentration is said to be the path of power in that it's quite empowering to have that energy available to us again rather than flying all over the place. And it's said to be the path of healing. It's a kind of wholeness in just having that, that feeling of integration, of centeredness. And we develop some skills of mindfulness as we work with various tools uh, to know what we're feeling when we're feeling it, not after we've pressed send for the email or, you know, after like 15 consequential actions, to know, to be in touch, to be aware, and also to be in relationship with our experience so that we're not 
maybe overwhelmed by so many things, maybe the cascade of emotions, you know, we're not driven by all the different things that come up. And we're also not distant or removed or withdrawn. So we have a more balanced relationship with the many, many things we experience in our bodies and our minds and our hearts and so on. That's the nature of mindfulness. And we develop the skill of loving kindness or compassion, which I really do believe is, is a kind of skill. It's a process. It's an unfolding. And, uh, you know, many of you have heard me talk in different places about some of the um, times that I've been present, say, when a neuroscientist has been describing their research on meditation um, to the Dalai Lama. And for a lot of the early years, um, most of the research was done on mindfulness practice. And it's only been in the last couple of years that there's been a, a growing interest in compassion practice. And so there's been a lot of research done then. So many times I've been present uh, when various researchers will be presenting their findings to the Dalai Lama about compassion research and brain changes and immune system changes and all that. And then at the end, very often, the scientists would kind of sum it all up uh, with a proclamation. Like, from this finding, we can almost begin to think of compassion as a skill. And I always sit there and I think, well, duh, you know, but it's done with a kind of verve, like, I found something, you know. And, and that fascinates me, actually. Um, because it's, it's certainly sincere and uh, pronounced. And so I think, well, how do we normally hold compassion so that it would seem so startling and that, you know, that deserves like an emphatic statement? One can almost think of compassion as a skill. You know, and I, I go back and forth about a lot of different possibilities. I think, well, do we normally think of love or compassion as a gift, and that would mean some people have it and other people don't? Or do we think of it as an emotion and therefore something that is just going to be born out of circumstance and not something that can be, in a way, um, inculcated or trained or developed? It's quite interesting. But certainly from the Buddhist point of view, very emphatically, compassion is a skill. It's a skill of attention and balance, um, learning to pay attention to ourselves in a different way, maybe not fixating or, or obsessing about our limitations and what's wrong, but opening beyond that, learning to pay attention to others we might more habitually ignore or look right through or have a kind of biased reaction to, so we have a very incomplete sense of them, uh, learning to pay attention to kind of the world in a way that doesn't have us feel so isolated and cut off and alone, but not in a, a way of wishful thinking um, or something fanciful, but something very real and direct and truthful to see how interconnected we all are. So we come together here to deepen concentration, to deepen mindfulness, and to deepen this skill of paying attention in a very different way. And that's why it really is an adventure. So we're 
you know, we're going to have many days together, which is quite wonderful. And sometimes I'm sure it will feel like a million years that you've signed up for. And sometimes it will seem like, wow, it's just going in a flash. Um, I want to say just a couple of more things and then turn the evening over to Gina. One is that it's common knowledge that the beginning of a retreat, whether you've had experience in meditation or not, the beginning can often be the most challenging time. Uh, For one thing, people tend to be kind of tired. And, you know, it's a little bit like when you're going and going and going and then you go on vacation and then you get sick. It's like, you go, you know, we go and go and go and then we come here and it's like, we're exhausted. And so it takes a little bit to get through that. Or uh, sometimes I think when I myself come on retreat in the beginning, of the period because it is such a huge adjustment in terms of stimulation and so on. I sometimes think it's like there are these two voices inside my mind. One voice says, oh, there's nothing happening here. It must be time to go to sleep. So even if I just woke up after 15 hours, it doesn't matter. I come to sit and I conk out. And the other voice says, oh, There's nothing happening here. Let's make something happen. And just this huge torrent of restlessness and agitation and thinking and planning and creating. Or, you know, we we often joke about um, reading, you know, and how many times one can stand in front of that bulletin board and read and (laughs) reread and reread the very same thing. And it's just like, you know, we just get in this kind of frantic space. And it's not that that won't arise later on, because it might, but the beginning tends to be the most extreme. It's almost like our whole system is making that adjustment to less sensory stimulation. And so if you find yourself sleepy, you find yourself restless, don't despair. The problem is not those states. The problem tends to be believing the thought that comes up in our minds that says, oh no, six more days, exactly like this. It's never going to change. And so it's not a bad thing to be able to see that thought as a thought and not as some kind of absolute truth and to be able to let it go and come back to being with what our experience is. And then the other thing which is very much connected to that is that in the course of a retreat, one goes through many times of change. There are times that are very peaceful. There are times that are more agitated. There are times that are sleepy. There are times that are uh, really joyous. There are times that are full of sorrow. It's hard to say, and nothing is wrong. You know, it's so easy to bring our uh, often tremendous habits of self-judgment and projection into an experience like this and to say, well, you know, I had five minutes of of real joy yesterday. Today I should have eight and then 15. And then by the time I leave or, you know, by the time I leave, I will love myself completely and I will have forgiven everybody that has ever harmed me. And then we just sit with all of this tension and expectation and uh, predetermination. But really anything can happen. And it's all fine because it's all a tremendous ground for learning. 
you know, if we are stepping out of our own process to judge it, usually to judge it as inadequate, we've stepped out. And therefore, we're not nurturing it. Um, we're not allowing the situation to develop. So uh, it's one of our greatest challenges, actually, is not to bring our old habits of thinking into this process. So the best perspective, in a way, is a sense of discovery. You know, and a, a willingness to use everything that might arise as a ground for greater learning rather than feeling, well, I'm like so awful. You know, everyone else is sitting in bliss. I know it. And they're, you know, they're just sitting here and I'm the only one who's thinking. No one else is thinking. And if they were thinking, they'd be thinking beautiful thoughts. They'd be thinking loving thoughts. They'd be thinking spiritual thoughts. I'm the one who's thinking about the weather. Why am I thinking about the weather? I can't control the weather in any way. Who knows what the weather's going to be? Oh, no, I'm doing it again. I'm thinking, and, you know, um, which is a process that's very draining and uh, can go on and on. And so uh, to have a kind of openness of spirit and to recognize that this isn't like an activity where we're going to get further ahead the more um, kind of harshness or strain we bring into the process. It's something very different, and that's the leap that we all make, to have kindness for ourselves right along the way in the process. Part of the way we do that is by actually relying on structure both the structure of the retreat and the structure of the form, the methodology of the practice, is not something that's meant to be restrictive or uh, punishing for us, but it's something to give us some rest. You know, if you uh, basically adhere to something like the schedule, you may not be sitting in here, uh, for one reason or another, or you know, a lot of things may happen, but you basically don't have to think all the time, what should I do now? Or in terms of the method, when we move on to doing loving-kindness practice, um, and we use words, we use phrases as the expression of the heart, as the vehicle for our deepening concentration, um, you know, not to try to change the words all the time, seeking some kind of perfection, but to basically just rely on the structure of the practice to see where that might take us. It reminds me a little bit of what I sometimes call one of my great spiritual experiences where I was um, in New York City some years ago checking into a hotel, and I was going up in the elevator uh, carrying my very heavy suitcase in my arms when I had the rather brilliant thought at one point, put it down. The elevator will carry it. And so it is. You know, the, the method will support us. It will help us. We just, we can rely on it. We can use it. The structure, the schedule, um, the guidelines of the practice of the community and being here together, it will support us. It will take care of us. We just need to rely on it and explore, experiment, and see what happens. So thank you.
I'd like to add my welcome to, to you uh, for this retreat and to thank you for everything that you've done to arrive here because I know that even taking just a week out of our lives is uh, not always easy. There are uh, people to attend to, there are um, personal and business affairs that need to be put in order. And not only do we have to do that, but we have a whole network of uh, family and friends who support us taking care of our pets, etc. So um, thank you for having gone to all that trouble to get here. And uh, thank you for being here and being willing to put yourself in the fire of this beautiful practice. Before we go further, um, and because as we, as we finish up tonight, we'll be entering into silence, I think it's, it would be a good idea if you turn to a few people and introduce yourselves so that you know who's sitting around you. So I'm gonna give you a few moments to do that. So just say hello. Ask Mark to just tap the bell. Ask Mark to just tap the bell. <coughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that was bold. <laughs> that was a bold bell. <laughs> it's helpful um, as we go into silence to just know, you know, when somebody steps on our cushion, it's not that person, it's Jane or Jim or whoever, so. And I'd just like to say a, a couple of words about the silence. Um, how many of us are new here at IMS, new to IMS? Oh, quite a few. Yeah, so uh, perhaps some of you have, uh, have already been at silent retreats, but uh, for those of you who haven't, uh, I know from experience from, from uh, speaking with a few people over the years about the silence that I've always loved it myself. I've always thought that silence was just an amazing thing that gives great relief, um, you know, that we can actually turn inward and not have to project a personality and, and uh, have anything expected of me is for, has always been for me a great relief. And yet I know that um, for some people, silence may seem very threatening or sometimes um, hostile because some of, some, some, some of us have grown up with a silent treatment in our families or uh, were shut down or, or silenced as, as, as children. So this kind of silence, however, that we, um, that we establish here together is a friendly silence. It's a warm silence that's here really to support you in your 
turning inward. So um, I know that also when it's when it's a first retreat that we think that the silence is going to be the hardest thing, but actually it's not the silence. It's this. It's what goes on in the mind that um, really is uh, more at the at the forefront of our attention. So I, I invite you to um, to really enter into it with some feeling of um, invitation and support and warmth because it it can be a really beautiful um, basis and foundation for uh, for looking inward and for this uh, meta meta practice this practice of kindness and love so tonight I'd like to talk about um, and in a way I, I was uh, reflecting when Sharon was speaking that what I'm about to talk about is not different really from what she was talking about, the three, uh, the three skills that we're developing for, of concentration, mindfulness, and uh, kindness or compassion. Uh, I'm, I want to talk about uh, the three refuges that we usually take. We've been doing as a, as a tradition at, at IMS for all of the time that it's been been here, uh, we enter into um, the taking of refuge in uh, what are called in Buddhism the three jewels, uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and also uh, the five precepts that we take, and, and these, which I'll, I'll talk about in a moment. These five precepts are essentially a way of creating safety in our community. Uh, I was listening to the manager's talk and realizing that much of what she was saying was really also contributing to this feeling of safety. And that's one of the really precious things about a retreat is that we come into it, we enter into community, now you know who's, who's around you. Um, and this community, in, in a way, although it's, uh, you know, these communities come together at IMS and they last for a short while or, or sometimes if, if it's a longer retreat, a, a longer while, and then they, they fall, they, they, they break apart. But while we're here together, um, it really is a, a beautiful safety that is created by the community that gets, that gets created. The taking of the three refuges in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha is, is an additional way of uh, creating safety. In our lives, we all, we're taking refuge in something, no matter what it is, whether it's in our addictions or our speediness or our busyness or our ambition or uh, our relationship or a lot of different um, uh, things and situations that we take refuge in. We're asked with the taking of refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha to, in a way, turn inward, just as, as Sharon was uh, speaking about, and to, uh, to, to turn our attention to a different object, and to not only turn our attention to a different object, but also to feel the safety of taking refuge in, uh, in, in these three jewels. When we take refuge in the Buddha, uh, there are two meanings of that. The first is taking refuge in 
the historical Buddha, the, the man himself who, um, who came to, a realization, to realizations uh, 2,500 years ago. And the beauty of that is not so much that there was this historical man that we revere as that the fact that he was a man, that the fact that he was a human being encourages us to see that there is a, there is a, a part of our nature or our basic nature that is goodness that there is, a, there is a, a wisdom and a compassion to our nature that we can discover. So that when we're practicing um, these practices that we'll be doing over the weeks, whether it's mindfulness or concentration or metta, these practices are not so much for um, attaining something else or, or becoming someone else so much as it is turning inwards to our own goodness. And this, uh, this image of the Buddha uh, is not really, you may have noticed that I bow when I, when I come up, and I'll be bowing all week, so you'll have opportunity to see me bowing every time I, every time I sit. And I, I do so, and I, I bow towards the Buddha, not so much because I'm bowing towards a, a, an object, as that I'm bowing towards a symbol of the goodness that is within me. And the bowing is actually for um, reminding myself that I'm entering into this sacred place and this sacred relationship with my own being, the understanding of the wisdom that the Buddha uh, symbolizes, and that that wisdom is, is mine. As Sharon was saying, uh, we're not really talking about the Buddha's realization so much as we are seeing for ourselves what is here within within us. And so this uh, this practice of metta, of cultivating goodness, of cultivating uh, uh, goodwill towards ourselves and towards all beings, is one one avenue, one method of discovering that beauty, that goodness that is within us. And so we, when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're taking refuge in that wisdom. We're taking refuge in that basic ground of goodness that is here now for us. And the, the refuge in the Dharma is uh, the, the teachings, capital D Dharma, and, or small d Dharma, which is the way things are, so that this, when Sharon was talking about mindfulness, she was really, um, what, in, what was included in, in what she was talking about is the ability that we have to see the way things are and to see, to see them clearly. So that when we take refuge in the Dharma, we are taking refuge again in our ability to see things clearly and to develop this new relationship of uh, awareness and mindfulness to the way things are, so that as we as we look within our own hearts, as we look within, uh, that uh, that ability to change our relationship uh, through uh, through the teachings and through the wisdom that comes from our practice is uh, is is the safety that we create. 
the refuge in Sangha is refuge in this, this community. And not only refuge in this community, but refuge in all of the, in all of the communities of all beings who are uh, endeavoring to practice in this way. So we are, um, in a way, in taking refuge in the Sangha, discovering the compassion that, that Sharon was talking about. Because we are, we are using our practice, we are using the cultivation of our wisdom and compassion in uh, relationship to the whole community in which we are, uh, in which we're living and practicing. And so even though we are practicing in silence, and even though uh, the silence implies a kind of solitude, which is supportive and um, promoting of our, um, of, our, of our development and our cultivation of, of this uh, loving kindness and compassion, it is done in relationship to the, to the community, with refuge to the community, in the community. So that, uh, so that our practice doesn't become such a narrow, um, self-centered practice as it is a practice that, uh, that understands that the interconnectedness that, that Sharon mentioned. And as we, as we go through the week, we'll be developing um, those themes a little bit more. But we can, we can take refuge tonight in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and we'll be chanting those refuges. And we'll also be taking the five precepts that I, that I talked about as part of the, uh, the safety of the, creating the safety of community. And these precepts are five precepts that are taken um, traditionally uh, in all, in, by all lay people who practice the Dharma. You have probably gotten uh, you've probably picked up these sheets, um, and if you haven't, we'll, we'll pass them out later. So we'll be chanting these five precepts also. And essentially, it, you'll see that there are eight, and that's really, f the last three are for your information, that these are eight, these are, uh, there are three additional precepts that are sometimes taken by, by lay people, uh, but we'll be, taking, we'll be taking five. And the first is the precept to refrain from destroying living creatures, or the precept to refrain from harming uh, living creatures. And uh, this is a precept that really is, is the underlying precept of all of the precepts, which is a precept of non-harming, that we endeavor to, um, to have the least impact, the least impact on all of the living creatures around us, or the least negative impact on all of the negative, on all of the living creatures around us. And so uh, one of the ways we do that is if we see a bug, or, or uh, not so much in at this season, I guess, we're not so buggy here. But if we see a bug, instead of, um, instead of squashing it or uh, mindlessly doing away with it, we see if we can remove it uh, 
we can remove it so that it's, it's not harmed, but it doesn't harm us either. And the, this precept is really a precept that helps us, supports us in our uh, respect for life, respect for not only for the life of our own lives, but for the lives of all, of all creatures around us. And the second is the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. This is a precept that really helps the community to feel safe so that uh, if we leave something somewhere, uh, we know that either someone will turn it in as a kindness to the office or uh, that when we come back, it will still be there. And this precept is also a precept that helps us to, um, to see the resources of the world in a very different way, rather than grasping at resources or grasping at, at objects. We see them um, as belonging really to the, to the community, so that if, uh, if someone has, a, has a, a possession, we don't have to grasp it, we don't have to, to desire it, we can actually leave it where it is and uh, use resources, use resources well. The third is I undertake the precept to refrain from any kind of erotic behavior. That, that's a precept that we'll obviously release you from at the end of the retreat. But ag again, it's a way of creating safety here so that um, we are, instead of moving outward, uh, staying within our own, uh, our own inner work. And in that way, everyone feels safe and there is nothing, there is no um, response that's required. There is no, uh, there's no, no one has to have a question in their minds as to uh, the, the nature of anyone's friendliness. And this, this precept usually is a precept that really uh, helps us to reflect on the, the power of, the, of sexual energy and, uh, and to help us to reflect on how we use that sexual energy so that we're not using it for harm, but, f but in the way that it can be used, which is a, a beautiful way of um, expressing love between two people. And the fourth is, uh, I undertake the precept to refrain from incorrect speech. Well, here it will be easy for you to, uh, to, to work with that precept, I, I suspect. But in, in a way, um, you can also use this precept to look at the speech within your own mind. It's not necessarily just what we express outwardly, but also what's happening inwardly. And usually this precept means that we are speaking the truth and we're speaking it um, kindly and we're speaking it usefully, that we're not using speech uh, in, a, in a useless way. Of course, here it's, it's easy because we're in silence, but you can even reflect on this when, uh, when we have conferences or, or interviews with the teachers. And the fifth is I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicating liquors and drugs which lead to carelessness. Again, we ask that you uh, refrain from any kind of intoxicant here 
which of course doesn't mean that if you have any kind of prescription drug uh, that you need to take for your health that you you're perfect that is not included in this in this precept um, but to the, the the use of this precept is I, I think quite obvious that you want a clear mind when you practice and if we use intoxicants uh, that usually leads not only to an unclear mind but also to heedlessness so what I'd like to do is to chant these um, these refuges and precepts in Pali and when we come to the precepts what I'd like to do is as we as we chant them in Pali to do the um, the, the English translation underneath so we'll we'll chant the Pali line and then uh, just speak the English line is that clear So does anybody need these sheets? So we start with, as you see at the top, homage. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. Now, on the three refuges, I just wanted to say one thing, which is that if you feel uh, that you don't want to uh, take the three refuges, please feel free not to. Uh, you can just listen to the voices. Buddhang Saranangachami. Dhammang saranangachami, Sangang saranangachami, Dutiampi Buddhang saranangachami, Dutiampi Dhammang saranangachami, 
Dutiampi sanggang saranangga chami. Tatiampi budang saranangga chami. Tatiampi damang saranangga chami. Tatiampi sanggang saranangga chami. Now, I'm happy to um, do this as call and response because it, it may seem a little daunting if you haven't done it in Pali before. Panatipata Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from destroying living creatures. Adina Dana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Abrahmacharya Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from any kind of erotic behavior. Musa Wada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from incorrect speech. Sura Meriya. Majapamadatana. Veramani. Sikapadang. Samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from intoxicating liquors and drugs which lead to carelessness. And then we go down to the dedication. Idang me silang Magapalananasa Pachayo hotu May this morality of mine help bring about knowledge of the path and its fruit. Thank you. Have a great retreat. So I'd also like to extend my welcome to you all and uh, just to say how happy I am, I am to be here, having flown in from 75 degrees in California, <laughs> feeling like my psyche and my brain is still on the airplane about 35,000 feet and I was thinking well what am I going to say tonight um, with this foggy brain and I thought the main thing I wanted to say was to invite you to
really uh, invite all of you to be here on this retreat, to embrace all parts of you. you know, so, so often when we come to do a certain activity, even a spiritual activity, meditation, retreat, that we quite easily, without being so mindful, um, compartmentalize our experience. Some parts okay, some parts not okay, this I like, this I don't like, and we often don't welcome and invite all aspects of our being. And so the mindfulness practice and the meta practice is a way of really uh, welcoming uh, all aspects of our being, all aspects of ourselves to be here. So um, as we arrive, sometimes it takes us several days for that journey to happen where we fully arrive, fully incarnate in our bodies, in our hearts, in the present moment. So, um, I mean, especially when we hit times of difficulty or struggle or uh, where the practice feels bleak or boring, uh, to, to, to welcome those moments too, to welcome all of it, because that's often uh, we learn the most when we really invite and can hold all of our experience and not exclude and reject. So uh, I'm aware that the time is quite late. Um, So we're going to do a short period of meditation. And I'll just say a few simple uh, things about the practice. And so this evening and uh, the rest of the day tomorrow, uh, as Sharon talked about, we'll be gathering, harnessing the disparate, scattered aspects and forces of the mind. We'll be we often come to retreat very uh, busy and rushed and our lives generally don't support a cohesive uh, uh, focus and groundedness of attention. So we'll be using primarily the uh, attention on the breath as a way to just simply come into the present, come into our body, come into uh, a sense of unification or gathering of the attention, gathering of awareness. And as we learn how to gather, we'll use that more unified mind to bring to bear to the loving kindness practice. So sitting in a comfortable posture, we'll say a little more about posture tomorrow. Sitting in a posture that allows you to sit relatively upright, yet relaxed. So the spine, the chest, upright, shoulders relaxed, hands in the lap or on your legs. Allowing the body to come into a sense of ease, softening the belly, relaxing the eyes, relaxing the jaw and the mouth. And just take a moment to feel your experience right here and now. What's it like to be sitting? Simply present, attentive to the experience, the bare experience of this moment. Maybe you notice you're sleepy or excited. Maybe the mind's busy racing, trying
trying to figure all this out. Bring your attention into your body, which means feeling the body, feeling the posture, feeling the sensations of sitting, feeling the contact of your body with the earth, with the ground. The body is always in the present moment when we're in live contact with the sensations of the body we're in the present. It's very simple. Wonderful resource and support. And as you stay centered with your attention in the body, you'll probably begin to notice the rhythm and movement of breath. Breathing all by itself. So begin to notice those sensations of breath, gently coming and going. And without doing anything to it, without manipulating, forcing, just simply sensing the sensations of the in-breath, sensations of the out-breath and begin again. And each time the mind wanders, spaces out, gets lost in thought, notice that. And then redirect the attention back to the breath.
feeling and sensing each passing in-breath and out-breath. as we bring the meditation to a close. Just taking a moment to reflect on your intention for being here. What it was that guided you to sign up, to make all this effort to get here. And to let that strength of intention carry you through this retreat. And to hold as a possibility 
that we're all here in some way, not just for ourselves, as we're all intimately interconnected, that our practice be ultimately a benefit for an ever-increasing number of beings. So the uh, retreat has officially began, so we are now in silence, and we will, there will be a wake-up bell tomorrow morning <coughs> at <laughs> 6.15, and we'll have um, breakfast at 6.45, and then there will be work meditations at 7.30. Is this the right schedule? Is the right schedule? Okay, all right. And then we'll come back in here at 9.30, 9.30, 8.30, try 8.30, which is 5.30 my time. Um, I'm a little time confused here. <laughs> Somebody else should be doing the timing here. Uh, at 8.30, we'll be having the, uh, the main instructions for the day. Every day will we'll be uh, a meditation, and we'll give the specific meditation instructions for the day. So um, get some really good rest, sleep well, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.